It's a beautiful thing that you've you've come to the soccer game slash worship service we have here this afternoon. It's an exciting thing, actually, to be worshiping among uh, people who are walking by and uh, uh, playing a sport uh, on on this day and walking by and hearing parts of what we are saying, although we want them to hear the gospel, and that's... uh, quite important. So we're relying on the Holy Spirit for that to happen. When we were singing that song uh, from Psalm 38, uh, there was a a statement about God's hot displeasure. And a lot of times as we're uh, experiencing suffering, sometimes we think that we're under God's displeasure. So I think it's an amazing thing that that same psalm later on has this to say in verse 20. Those also who render evil for good, they are my adversaries, because I follow what is good. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. That's a prayer that you could offer as you're going through the kind of suffering that's mentioned in this passage. And so that's helpful for us uh, to think about. A lot of times when we look at suffering, When we consider suffering, it's not our favorite subject, and we begin to think that God has mad at us. But the the real uh, truth is that God does not always shield the believer from external causes of suffering. But he always stands to support us in doing what's good. And so this passage begins uh, with the word and. It begins with the word and because it's continuing the thought of verse 12. And barring any... uh, big issues with the wind, uh, I'll refer to a few parts of First Peter uh, today. But we have uh, already read that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And so the Holy Spirit is causing Peter to reflect on that. And he says it this way, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? He's actually referring to uh, a passage in Isaiah 50, uh, which in uh, the Greek translation uh, reads this way. Behold, the Lord God will help me. Who is he that shall condemn me? Who's going to harm you if you are followers of that which is good? The implied answer is no one. But we know that the believers to whom this letter was written were being persecuted by Nero. So they could have said, Emperor Nero, that's who's going to harm us. But Peter is actually speaking about the fact that this kind of harm did not occur continually. You see, it's possible when we consider the matter of suffering for us to overblow it in our minds and to think that suffering is inevitable. And so I withdraw from doing good because I don't want to experience the suffering that inevitably follows. But the point is that it is possible uh, to, to live that way and to expect mistreatment, and so we stop doing what's right. That's called fatalism. But <clears throat> whether or not we experience that kind of harm is actually governed by two things, common grace and the government keeping order. There are actually many times where we don't experience the kind of suffering uh, that 
Peter is talking about. And that's important for us because our trials are being discussed here in light of the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. And we are never harmed ultimately, for we're always in the care of Jesus Christ. So Peter goes on uh, and he uh, speaks of the uh, possibility of suffering for righteousness' sake. Look at what he says in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. He's saying even if. He's acknowledging the possibility of suffering for righteousness because the believers to whom this letter was written lived in an environment in which the possibility of suffering was always present, but not always happening. How can this be? Well, it's kind of like the people in the time in which Peter wrote this letter were living on the edge of a volcano. They know that the volcano can erupt. They know that lava can stream over them. They know that they can experience those things, but they don't always experience those things. But they are living in that sort of setting. And that's what uh, the Holy Spirit is helping us to see as we live in the world. We may suffer for the sake of righteousness, but if we do, if we do experience that, which is not as common as we want, we want to make it out to be, but if we do experience that, we are blessed. That is, we are privileged ones who have been shown the favor of God, a favor that's not won by our merit, but's given as a gift. We are blessed. You remember how Jesus defined the state of being blessed in his Sermon on the Mount? He said in Matthew 5, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There it is, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the reason why they're blessed? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus says. So persecution for the sake of righteousness is a mark of possessing the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus says. And that's important because that means that when we suffer for the sake of righteousness, we are blessed in that we are more grounded in the reality of who we are and what we have received from God. We are those who have received the kingdom of heaven. And that's important for us to remember when we do experience suffering for righteousness' sake, which again, is not as common as we might uh, want to make it out to be. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 10, verses 34 to 39. Do not think that I came to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. I have come to, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be those of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Jesus goes on in, in John 15 and verse 18 to put it this way. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I have not come, had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. When you're suffering for righteousness sake, you're actually witnessing to people 
about Jesus Christ. You're actually following the, the one who went before. A servant is not greater than his master. And if they persecuted him, they will also persecute you. That's what Jesus says. And yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus has made it clear. There is a place, a blessed place, for suffering for righteousness' sake. But that means that when we suffer, that there could be intimidation and there can be consequences uh, imposed on us by other people. And for that, verses 14 to 16 have these statements. There are two negative statements and two positive statements. Listen to this. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. Those are the negative statements. The positive statement is, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Two negative statements, two positive statements, but a lot in there for us to consider. First of all, the Apostle Peter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is quoting from Isaiah 8. Uh, verses 12 and 13, uh, specifically uh, a section of verse 12 and a section of verse 13. And in that passage, the, the people of God were concerned about the Assyrians. They were being told not to, to fear them. And the Apostle Peter uses this passage to ground the reality of new covenant uh, response to people who try to intimidate us and impose consequences on us for the sake of our righteousness. We're told to not be afraid of their threats or to be troubled. Why? Because we have a different Lord. When he uses the term Lord, he applies it to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he means the Lord Jesus Christ being displayed in a public way. The sovereign over you is displayed publicly as you set apart the Lord Jesus Christ. See, it's not just a private thing that happens in your hearts because you're suffering for righteousness sake. You're suffering in the public arena. You're suffering around other people. But when the Lord Jesus Christ rules our hearts, we need not fear our enemies. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying here. And the, the way that that is accomplished is by the Lord Jesus being set aside in our hearts, sanctified. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Have him set apart as the true ruler. He is the one that you bow to. He is the one that you follow. He is the one who is giving you the kingdom of heaven. He is the one who said you are blessed, even when you are persecuted. He is the one that is set apart in your hearts. Sanctify him. Set him apart in your hearts. And that will make you ready to do what the Holy Spirit says next. Be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Be ready. Now, sometimes we overplay this. We say, this is a, uh, an explanation for why we need apologetics. This is why we need to, to learn how to defend the faith, which is all true. We need to learn to study uh, the philosophies of other uh, people and their uh, worldviews, and we need to be able to respond by means of the Word of God. That's true. But the point here is more simple. The point here is quite simple. When someone notices that you have hope, you give a reason. And the reason is the Lord Jesus. You have hope. Hope is a strong theme of this letter. That's what you're being called to give a reason for. 
Why do you have such hope? And what does that imply? It implies that we need to cultivate that hope. It implies that the hope that's been building throughout 1 Peter needs to be characterized in our life. That people will notice. That people will pay attention. Chapter 1 and verse 3 puts it this way, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Chapter 1 and verse 13 says, To gird up the loins of our mind and be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope. We have a resurrection hope. We have a hope that joins us to Jesus Christ in heaven. It's a present reality. But there's also something down, down the way. Hope for something that is to come. The grace that will be brought to us at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus Christ comes back, all of the opposition, all of the questioning about why you are going through this persecution will be over. And you will see the revelation of Jesus Christ himself. Chapter 1 and verse 23 says, that you believe in God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. You see, your hope has a ground. Your hope is grounded in the presence of God. You have faith in God and you have hope in God because these are gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are the, the tools, the spiritual tools that you have been given to defend the faith. These are the tools that you've been given. But you notice that they're, they're gifts to you. You notice that they're, they're parts of your identity. You notice that this hope is characterizing your present life. It's a resurrection hope. It's characterizing your, your orientation towards the future. You're resting your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you. And it causes you to trust in God, the one who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's chapter 1 and verse 3, chapter 1 and verse 13, and chapter 1 and verse 21. That's what you are giving an account for. The hope that you have. The living hope that you have because of the present work of Jesus Christ who died and was raised from the dead. If you can serve someone who's been raised from the dead, then you have a ruler, a Lord, who is above anyone that you might face. No one that is opposing you has been raised from the dead. Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And you have hope in Him. And that's why you can respond in this way. You don't have to respond with frustration. You don't have to respond with anger. You can respond with meekness and fear. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You have a reverence for the Lord Jesus Christ. And that will come through in your response. Meekness will come through as you respond as someone who's not better than the person who's asking you. Better than the person who's persecuting you. But simply one who has hope. Simply one who has this quality of hope. And so you're able to respond in these, in these ways. And meekness, you see, is one of the, the benefits of being in the kingdom. That's what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount as well. Verse 16 goes on to speak of another quality that's, that's important. Not only do you have hope, but you also have a good conscience. And that's important because this passage is going to go on to speak of how you are going to be slandered, how people are going to say something against you. 
It says, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In other words, you are going to be told that you're doing what is evil rather than doing what is good. Good conduct in Christ will be reviled. Because of our conscience, Christians can be bold while unbelievers uh, uh, slander them and are afterward ashamed. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In other words, they cannot continue the accusation. They cannot continue the accusation because it isn't true. It wasn't true of the Lord Jesus at his trial. And God provided many uh, testimonies for us. We have one, a Roman centurion, who said, surely this was a righteous man at the death of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ uh, was innocent. And you, as you follow the Lord Jesus Christ, as you grow uh, in uh, suffering for righteousness' sake, being a follower of what is good, sanctifying the Lord God in your hearts, uh, cultivating that hope that's within, within you, will have a good conscience. A conscience uh, that is cleansed because of the work of Jesus Christ. It is because of the work of Jesus Christ that you have this conscience. Uh, I don't know if the, the previous time you heard from this uh, same passage, which was just last week, uh, you uh, had this, this verse read to you, but Hebrews 9, 9 verse 14 uh, puts it quite clearly uh, that um, comparing the uh, blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, uh, sanctifying the purifying of the flesh, to the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God. And that is what cleanses your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. In other words, Jesus Christ's work cleanses your conscience. That's what the Bible says. Now, when our consciences uh, are, are uh, racked by something, we have a place to go. We have a true identity. Uh, something has been accomplished in Jesus Christ that has cleansed our conscience. And that's important for us to meditate upon. When we have a good conscience, then we don't need to respond uh, in like as as people defame us as evildoers. Well, you said I was an evildoer, so I'm going to say something about you. Verse 17 says, For it is better, if it is the will of God, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Better, if it is the will of God. You know, remember when Jesus Christ is uh, unpacking uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he said it's better for you to remove your right hand than to go to hell. Now, Jesus is not saying literally remove your right hand because the point in that passage is that lust is in our hearts. Lust is something that characterizes our hearts. And removing your right hand isn't going to remove the lust. But Jesus is comparing the, the value of your right hand very important part of your body uh, in that time, the right hand, quite significant, to going to hell. And he says it's better to have your right hand removed than to go to hell. This is the same type of language that's used here. 
But I want us to wrestle with this for just a second. What if we are unjustly treated anyway? What if people don't back off? What if they're not ashamed? What if they continue? There's no guarantee that our opponents will grow silent or stop attacking us. What is your response? There are two ways to respond. To do evil or to do good. Those are the two ways. And this verse is actually getting, uh, causing us to reflect upon this. Which is better? Which is the better response? You know the answer, but which is the one that's like Jesus? Well, we know uh, the way that Jesus uh, lived because chapter 2 has already told us. But let's just reflect on this for a second again. First uh, Peter 2, verse uh, 20. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Did you notice that? The reason that the Lord Jesus Christ committed himself to the one who judges righteously and bore our sins in his body on the tree was so that we might live for righteousness. That's what the word of God says, that we've died to sins and we live for righteousness. So there's really no option in terms of which way the Holy Spirit is pointing us. But even more, the reality of the presence of the Lord Jesus enables us to live this way. Because uh, verse 25 goes on to say, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You see, 24 hours a day and seven days a week, when you experience uh, persecution or when you are seeking to do good, you have a shepherd. You have one who is an overseer of your souls. Now this question of whether or not it is God's will is something that we should wrestle with for just a second. If it is God's will to suffer for doing good rather than for doing evil. You see the point here. The question is whether it's God's will that we suffer for doing what is right. Not simply that we suffer. It's important that we see the distinction. The point is not that God wills us to suffer, but that he wills us to do what is right no matter what. That's the important point, rather than doing what's wrong. And so when you are faced with a choice of responding with evil or responding with good, the opportunity that you have is to continue to do what is good because God wills you to continue to do what is good, even if and when that results in suffering. You see, God wills for his people to live faithfully and do what is right, even if the response of an unbelieving world causes them to suffer. And that's quite a different concept from saying that God causes Christians to suffer simply for their spiritual well-being. 
God is actually leading you to suffer like Christ when you experience this. When you are following the will of God, suffering for doing good, you are following Jesus Christ. And there is no way to get through that suffering apart from relying upon Jesus. There's no way to get through that suffering apart from being united to Jesus. There's no way to get through that suffering apart from having a shepherd, an overseer, apart from having one who paid for all of your sins. Because otherwise, the fact that you are behaving rightly is going to make you puffed up. It's going to make you proud. I'm doing the right thing. You're persecuting me. I'm doing the right thing. And in your hearts, you will have that sense of self-righteousness. No, this is a completely different basis for righteousness. It's a righteousness that comes from the work of Jesus Christ described in 1 Peter 2. It's the righteousness that comes from Jesus Christ himself bearing our sins in his own body that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. It's the righteousness that comes from the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, the one who gives you hope. It's the righteousness that comes from having a good conscience that is only possible through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amazing that uh, the author of this letter, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, went through this experience of denying Jesus Christ uh, there at his trial. Because he's coming from a completely different place now, isn't he? There he was earthly minded, concerned for his own self-protection. At that point, he was trying to minimize the damage to himself. But now the Apostle Peter, writing this letter, has already suffered many things. The Holy Spirit has been poured out from heaven and he's already been put in jail. He's already gone through many things in the, gospel, in the book of Acts. The Apostle Peter is now connected to the risen Christ. He has hope that comes from the risen Christ. He has the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who's sanctified in his heart. He's ready to give a defense to everyone who asks him for a reason for the hope that's in him. It's in this letter. It's in this letter. It's enshrined for us in our language, in the Bible. What is the hope that we have? Well, Peter's been saying it again and again. It's the same hope that you and I have. The hope that's been mentioned throughout uh, the uh, letter. Let's just meditate for uh, just a minute upon uh, this hope as we as we close. Um, as I turn to First Peter and just read to you a few of these verses. I want you to think about these verses. And I want you to think about the hope that you have in light of someone who might oppose you for doing what is good. In light of someone who might oppose you for righteousness sake, uh, because you are doing what, what you... Uh, no is 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 right before God because you are joined to Jesus Christ. Think about what you have as a resource. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are being kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, 
ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse verse, uh, 21, uh, speaking, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. The Lord Jesus Christ. This is the one by whom you are able to gird up the loins of your mind, to be sober and to rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You have a present living hope. It's a resurrection hope. You have a future orientation of your hope. You're setting your hope fully on the grace that's going to be revealed to you. And your faith and hope are firmly placed in God. That is who you are in the core of your being. That is who you are as those who have the Lord Jesus Christ as your risen Savior. He is the Lord who rules you. And you are set apart for this work. Never let it be said that the next time you suffer for righteousness' sake, you are not blessed. Blessed greatly by God in the most massive way that men and women and boys and girls can be blessed. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that is given to us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is our Lord and that we are able to set him apart in our hearts, uh, that he is already set apart in our hearts by means of the work of the Holy Spirit, so that we are not afraid of the threats of other people nor troubled by them. In fact, we are cultivating that hope so that we are ready to give a a defense to everyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that's in us. And we will do it with meekness and fear. And we will maintain our conscience that is good because of the work of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ really is our Lord. We really are not only saved by him, but ruled by him. And we agree with the Holy Spirit that it is better if it is the will of God, if it is your will, that we suffer through a, a period of, of time doing good and continuing to do it than for doing evil. This applies, uh, in our case, to the proclamation of the gospel. This applies to the worship uh, in public places. This applies to the way that we respond to co-workers and neighbors. This, is the way, this applies uh, to the way in which we respond to those who speak ill of us who translate our motives, who say things about us that are not true. For all of this has happened to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, even by the one who's writing this letter. But you have changed him, as our brother has prayed. You made the Apostle Peter different. And so you have with us. So, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would so build that resurrection hope in us, that we would remember that it is a living resurrection hope that is a present reality, that we would remember the future orientation of our hope, and that we would remember that our hope is firmly placed in you. And should it be your will that we would continue to do right no matter what, we will continue to do right no matter what, because we are following you and no one else. And we pray all of this would cause men and women and boys and girls to ask us about this hope and to hear the answer 
We have hope because our Savior has been raised from the dead. And we ask, Father, that you would cause this to be a song in our minds and hearts, the testimony of our lives, until you bring us home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.